0: Matt Lazowitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast, where each week my co host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on our big old list, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. So, Will, what's been going on with you this week?
1: Not much. Same old, same old. As always, this is my opportunity to uh, ruin the show before we get started uh, here, in, here in Will's Bithole. So we're doing another All Ages episode tonight to, to spoil the carefully crafted introduction that Matt has prepared. And so I, I want to endeavor to make this a more kid-friendly episode. So we're going to do some, some All Ages books, and I'm going to try to clean up the language tonight. So I'm going to kind of pre-dub myself. Uh, so I want to give the listeners out there the, uh, the equivalence for the swears tonight. Butthole is obviously going to remain the same. I think that's a family-friendly word, but that doesn't count. Doesn't count. Shit. Duty. Duty. Everybody loves a good duty. Fuck. Just going to be flipping. Flipping. Motherfucker. We're going to use the uh, the crazy uh, cable dub, motherfather. Dickhead, peckerface, peckerface, shitgobbler, feces aficionado, and then finally, because this this comes up every week on the show, shit stain is simply going to be Sean Gordon Murphy.
0: You know, we finally won't need that E rating on this episode. <laughs> Uh
1: bat chat is
0: for the children. Indeed, it is. So, as Will said, we're going to be doing some all ages stories since this episode will be dropping on Thanksgiving. And we wanted some wanted to give you all something that you could share with your family. Now, if you can sit and talk Batman with your family, well, here, family's way geekier than mine. So good for you. These are going to be all ages, family friendly and accessible. You know, no continuity, just pretty straightforward kind of Batman stories except for one which while it is pretty straightforward also is full of a lot of inside baseball and in jokes but we'll get there the first story we'll get there the first story is not that one that first story is Batman 66 the lost episode the writer is with an original treatment by Harlan Ellison and an adaptation by Len Wein pencils by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez inks by Joe Prado Colors, Alex Sinclair. Letters, Wes Abbott. Edited by Jim Chadwick and Anise Ansari. Cover date, January 2015. This book is an adaptation of an unpublished script, or unproduced script treatment for the classic Batman series that would have introduced Two-Face into that particular series. It's a... Batman 66 story, very much what's right there for you to read. To start out with, all three of the major creators on this book are legends.
1: Hall of Famers.
0: Yeah, I mean, two in comics and one in media in general. Len Wein wrote most of the great comic book heroes of the Bronze Age, co-created this minor Marvel character named Wolverine jose Luis, bitty yeah they, you might have heard of him jose luis garcia lopez drew a ton of bronze age dc and did the style guide for dc's licensing that was used throughout the 70s 80s 90s and still shows up every now and then today and harlan ellison is one of the great science fiction writers of the 20th century, also one of the great contrarians and most litigious SOBs in the history of science fiction literature. A brief tangent, because we love tangents, a buddy of mine who I worked with at the comic book shop worked in sci-fi publishing. He worked for one of the sci-fi magazines in the 90s and aughts, one of the short story magazines. And he came into the comic shop on a Wednesday evening after a day at work. And he's, he said, you know, I finally made it. What do you mean? Well, I uh-huh. finally got reamed out on the telephone by Harlan Ellison. You, you haven't made it in sci-fi publishing until Harlan Ellison has screamed at you on the telephone. A, a boy and his dog, I have no mouth, but I must scream. And City on the Edge of Forever, the probably greatest episode of the original series, Star Trek. This guy is
1: amazing. City on the Edge of Forever, by the way, also has a similar adaptation of Ellison's original work. And it is, from memory, quite a bit different than what made it to air. But it's, it's interesting as an, as an artifact. But your first inclination here was the same as mine. I mean, this is such an all-star roster of creators. And I think it speaks to the level of care that was put into Batman 66. This was not an afterthought. This was not modern day Batman black and white slash legends of the dark night. They put some real care into this series, the series that, you know, the main series with Jeff Parker and God bless them for it. These creators had a real soft spot just like me for this series, this tone. And it's been a while since I've read the main line I, I can't say that this is the best Batman 66 story, but it is certainly representative. Just just a, a fun, fun read. And I don't know enough of the series history to figure out why Two-Face never made it to the series. He, he admittedly was a minor character at this time. And I, I got to figure, they probably just could not have pulled off the makeup. That seems to be one of, maybe a key reason. I just don't think it would have (laughs) worked.
0: Yeah, I think the makeup has a lot to do with it. I can't think of another villain who is quite so much a grotesque. There's a reason why that character wasn't used in the Silver Age. He appears in the Golden Age, then he disappears for the entire Silver Age and doesn't really pop up again until the early 70s with uh, O'Neill and Adams. And I think that is a lot of this, that he's a bit more horror-y than we would get in villains on that TV show.
1: Yeah, he's supposed to be grotesque. Like he's supposed to be the kind of guy that would turn your stomach. Dark Knight really pulled that off well with the benefit of CGI. I just want to drop this in here because it's not going to fit in anywhere else. My favorite Batman 66 trivia, Cesar Romero. Man loved his mustache. Would not shave it to be the Joker. And maybe maybe you've noticed that. I I know I trust Matt. He's a genius here, so he's noticed it. But the listeners out there, Take a look next time for you, you see Cesar Romero, Joker, Batman 66. That's a mustache under that uh, white face paint. God bless him.
0: Here's a question. As We're just talking 66 for a minute before we get into the specific book. Of that series, which is your favorite villain? It's, it's hard because while the Joker is my favorite Bat villain in general, and Romero's great. There's something about Burgess Meredith's penguin. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's that just it's got a charm. He's got a real charm. And Gorshin's Riddler is even tricky to ask, which is your favorite Catwoman Because all three of them took that character in very different directions that were all wonderful.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the way the series was structured is the villain was the star. West was the straight man, the straight Batman. Robin got in his wordplay. Chief, Chief O'Hara, uh, God bless him, tried. Gordon obviously wasn't much of a character, but the the villains were the star. That was the the premise behind the show. You know, getting basically these recurring guest actors uh, and actresses. God, I don't think I don't think you could go wrong with any of them.
0: Even when you get to some of the weird, obscure ones they created for the show. I mean, you had Liberace. you had Milton Burl, you had Ah oh. Connie. Oh,
1: duty, what was what was Liberace's name? Oh. It was a he, wasn't it a V? He, he, it was, it, he was playing twins.
0: Mm-hmm. One was the 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 pianist who was the good twin, but his evil twin brother was making him commit crimes. Uh, okay, I'm looking it up. He was Shondell.
1: Ah, there we go, Shondell. Yeah.
0: And, and Milton Berle is Louis the Lilac, who is the whole
1: episode was him manipulating hippies. It was just a
0: weird, wonderful show.
1: But yeah, I, I remember the the Liberace episodes. He 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 got so into the idea of playing straight. I, I am Shandell. I'm oh, evil Shondell. Oh. oh yeah. God bless him.
0: This comic, even more than the normal Batman 66 comic, the normal Batman 66 comic would take the absolute feel, but it could kind of blow it up because it was a comic. They did bigger set pieces, even in 66, and some villains who you wouldn't have been able to pull off there. This one, aside from 2 phase, it's obvious it is a Batman 66. It's structured like that. It works really well. Although I have to wonder, having reread this, Ellison was no fan of Robin. He kept really sidelining Robin in this story. More so than I remember happening on the show. It made me want to break out my Batman 66 Complete Series Blu-ray and watch some of those episodes. I don't think it's streaming anywhere. That's probably a rights thing. But I'm glad I've got all those episodes. I don't think it's on Max.
1: It probably isn't because it seems like I would be aware that it was on max, but yeah, you're right. The, the rights are in like hell because it, yeah. it took forever to get out on Blu-ray. But yeah, I think you're right. Like Robin does get kind of the shaft here. You know, he's sidelined. He has, he has that uh, unfortunate blonder <laughs> tri- tripping on all of the shotgun shells. He doesn't really get much of a time to shine. And I got
0: to say, Bruce is Kind of a jerk. Where you know, they have these two places where they need to split up to look for two possible two-phase schemes, and he sends Robin off to look, to look after two circus aerialists. Boy, Bruce, you're not going to try to trigger this kid's PTSD, not at all.
1: No, <laughs>
0: I, I literally, I'm sure Ellison wasn't thinking that when that was in the script, but I read that and I was like,
1: "Ooh, that's oh boy." So When I crack this thing open, I'm looking at 80 pages and I'm thinking, okay, there's no way that we could carry this idea for an entire basically graphic novel length. And it's not. Instead, it's like, I don't know, 30 or 40 pages. And then this is one of the nicest, most complete packages I think DC has ever put out because maybe, I don't know, they felt that this wasn't enough just to throw out as an issue or, or whatever. But anyway, uh, not only do we have 30 or 40 page story, we also get the pencils and then we get most of Ellison's original treatment. And it was so fascinating to read the treatment and then compare it to the finished product uh, that, uh, that Ween put out. And I, I'm, I'm going to say, again, it's hard to criticize one of the masters. But he he changed two lines of dialogue that I just loved. That I just absolutely loved. One was from Two-Face in that final, or one of the final confrontations with Batman. Batman, we're shooting craps with your life. Uh, I love that. It was so good. And then uh, the final closing line of the comic was, Two-Face has been taken out of circulation. And I'm like, man, that's so good. That's so good. Why did you change it? Why did you change it? But uh, it was really fascinating to read that treatment. I love all the touches that make this just
0: so obviously a 66. 2 faced with his his two goons, Deuce and Twain. I always loved seeing those 66 villain, the themed henchmen names. It's a great touch. And the techno babble, when Batman's looking at the Bat computer, like this uses von Neumann's game theory and Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. It's like, how does Heisenberg's uncertainty principle? Ah, whatever. It's techno babble. I'm good with that. It's magic. You know, we do prefer a, a, a magic-y Batman to a sci-fi one anyway. So, so that works. I also have to say, while we have complained about the Batman 89 comic with its weird sort of nebulous relationship with likenesses, where Two Face, Billy D. Williams, Two Face looks like Billy D. Williams, but Batman doesn't look anything like Michael Keaton. Nope. And Jim Gordon kind of looks like Pat Hingle, but not really. And Alfred doesn't look anything like Michael Goff. This book didn't try to do exact likenesses, but it got the spirit of all of these characters spot on. It's like, you know, no, that's not Adam West, but you can get that adam west vibe right off that guy the, the guy that is drawn into this book and i would take that over half and half any day no 2 face pun intended that came out i was like oh crap i'm saying that and that's 2 face right there
1: all right I ha- we have to do something very important let's cast harvey dent slash two-face okay have you seen
0: They did two Batman 89-inspired animated films. 66. 66, yes. Batman 66-inspired animated films that had both Adam West and Burt Ward voicing Batman and
1: Robin. I saw the first one. I have the second one. Need to watch it. Do you know who voices Two-Face in the second one? That would be King Asshole of Space himself. William Shatner. It would. I see that as like, you know,
0: I could absolutely see Shatner in, again, it would probably not have worked because it would have required his ego to have half of his face all mangled. But Shatner would have the bombastic delivery that you'd need for a 66 villain.
1: I'm going to give you an off the board suggestion. Okay. Not that we have discussed a board yet, but having seen his villain turn in Facing the Crowd and looking back over his career, and unfortunately, him not having as many opportunities to do that, Andy Griffith. Oh, interesting. I think he would have had a lot of fun with that. He would have. Speaking of another
0: classic sitcom actor who might have made for a fun villain turn in this, Dick Van Dyke. Have you ever seen the Columbo episodes where he's the the photographer who's the killer? He's ice cold. That would have been fun. Yeah. I think I would actually, either of those, I would probably have taken over Shatner now now that we've said that. There's also the weird, I can't remember if it was Shatner and West starred in a failed pilot about the life of Alexander the Great. And I can't remember which one played Alexander and which one was his friend, <laughs> which I'm sure in this he was his friend, but I'd say friend in air quotes now, because we all know about Alexander the Great in the year of our Lord 2021.
1: <laughs> the, the pilot was called Alexander the Great. Shatner was Alexander. OK. Oh,
0: wow. Do you see the rest of this cast? Joseph Cotton and John Cassavetes were in there,
1: too. That's a powerful cast. I got one more thing to say about this book. I really liked the conclusion of the story. It's always nice when Batman can win with his, uh, with his brain instead of just beating the duty out of somebody. Absolutely. It's laid out. Well, there's the setup
0: that Bruce pays off in the end there like, Oh, well that worked well. So now I'm going to, Reproduce that. That's that's good. This is a really fun, solid Batman 66 story. And a, oh, one other thing that I wanted to point out there, again, because this is a comic that doesn't have to worry about budget. There is a moment set in the Batcave's Hall of Trophies. It's the dinosaur and the big Joker card and the coin and all of that, which is something you couldn't have afforded on 66's budget, but is a great little moment that you can pull off in a comic
1: (laughs) batman 66 could pull off the atomic pile but they can't pull off the uh (laughs) uh, the dinosaur and the penny is the dent bust canon elsewhere i do not believe so
0: i don't remember that being anywhere else
1: that did seem to be new let's see if there's anything else in the oh oh, no this this description is good Deep within the rarely seen side cavern that contains the cave's legendary Hall of Trophies. Excellent narrator voice there, sir. Let's see. Yeah, we got the penny. We got the the Joker card, the T-Rex, umbrellas, stuff from the Riddler, King Tut, and I cannot place the thing that is to Tut's immediate left. Yeah, I have to bring it up. We'll look into that,
0: and I will put it in the episode notes.
1: Ooh, ooh.
0: That would require me doing more digging than I want to do on Mike. But I think unless there's anything else there, Will? It is time to put it on the board! So, we currently have 27 stories on our big list. Number one remains... Batman Year One from Batman Volume One numbers four hundred four to four hundred seven. Number ten is Wonder Woman, the Haikatia. Number twenty is Demons, Batman Adventures Annual Number Two, and number twenty-seven is Superman and Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves.
1: Oh, yeah! Uh, I want to. I want to throw back to last week. I am going to cop to uh, to having my list screwed up. I flipped up, listeners. Matt was, of course, correct in his list. Our discrepancy uh, has been sorted out. Okay. So,
0: where are we thinking with this story? Top half goes without saying. Oh,
1: yeah. It's fun. It's beautiful. I think the things that we could say about this are about the same things we would say about Brave and the Bold. Yes. that's, that is
0: where I was looking. I was looking in that Brave and the Bold area. It doesn't does it beat Brave and the Bold. I don't think it goes above Brave and the Bold because there you've got the Heiketia, which is also gorgeous and hits on a lot of interesting, heady themes. You got Brave and the Bold at 11 and then Doomsday Book at 12. Another fun story.
1: I just love the extras in this package
0: that is very true
1: i am inclined to say above brave and the bold you know i can go with that the
0: package really helps sell this book both literally i'm sure to those of us who bought it and metaphorically to those of us who haven't uh so yeah that'll put it right below the top 10 that'll be number 11 batman 66 the lost episode ta-da Okay, so now moving on, our second story for the night is Little Gotham. This is from Batman Little Gotham, numbers 1 through 12, or 1 through 24 if you read it digitally, written by Dustin Nguyen and Derek Friedolfs, pencils by Nguyen, inks and colors also by Nguyen, letters by Saida Timofante, editors Sarah Gatos, Christy Quinn, and Jessica Chen. Cover dates on the print versions of this book were June of 2013 through May of 2014. This is a 12 slash 24, 12 issue, 24 chapter, all ages, little like chibi bat characters traveling through stories that are set around holidays and annual events. There's not a lot more to describe it generally than that. Nguyen and Friedolfs have a bunch of Bat books outside of this to their credit. They worked with Paul Dini on the latter part of his run on Detective and into the book that he was spun into after that, Streets of Gotham. So the influence of Batman, the animated series is pretty heavy in this book, which we will definitely get to in discussing. So as I often like to ask, well, this is your first time reading Little Gotham?
1: Yes, and it's, it's real cute in the same way that Wayne Family Adventures is real cute. I was told by a certain co-host and friend <laughs> that this would be the most tolerable version of Damian Wayne. And you were flipping right. When, uh, Damian is fun in this book because he's actually allowed to be uh, a kid and not a, an obnoxious little duty. He's still haughty and whatever, but he's a kid. He's got
0: that arrogance of a 10 or 11-year-old, not the arrogance of an adult squeezed down into a little kid's body.
1: He is not Wesley Crusher with a bad attitude. Yes. That is is, a very good description. It has always been mine. This is, yeah, I'm (laughs) a deadly... Trained assassin, yeah. I've got, as they say in the book, a little Napoleon complex. But I also want skittles.
0: Oh yeah, he he loves it when he gets to you know he gets just to drive the Batmobile or pilot a giant Batmac, or you know when Batman's away, he invites all of the bird-themed heroes that he can come up with to hang out. Not just you know the birds of prey, but hawk and dove and. He invites Hawkman and Hawkgirl and they will have nothing to do with it. And it is a very charming take on Damien. It is, generally speaking, a very charming book. Wayne Family Adventures is a great comparison. Wayne Family Adventures leans a little more heavily into the teen romance, teen teen school manga sort of vibe than this does. This is more a family story- From a younger child's perspective, it's the difference of Damien is the POV through most of it than Duke, who's your POV character for much of Wayne family adventures. It also has a lot of the villains who are still committing crimes and being dangerous, but they're not as terrifying. The Joker shows up in here a lot and he's still villainous as all get out, but he's not psychotically homicidal nor is he terribly abusive to Harley which is kind of nice because they're paired
1: throughout most of this and it seems like everybody can get along. Like there, there's, there's a strange sort of camaraderie between uh, Batman and the Rogues Gallery. One of my favorite chapters, which comes comes fairly early, Batman notices the the, the gallery out at dinner, and yeah, you know, he says like, "Oh, I'll I'll pay for dinner," and then he sees Gordon outside waiting to arrest them all, and he's like, "Eh, let him finish, let him finish, then take him back to Arkham." Absolutely.
0: that That is the first chapter, and it cycles back around in the final chapter where it's Christmas, and Bruce goes to Arkham and leaves presents for all the rogues. Granted, I mean, the best part is he leaves the Joker, Cole, because the Joker deserves nothing better, but all the villains get little thoughtful presents. Batman is still Batman in this. He's still the straight man in this big, crazy world, but he's just a little bit softer. He's just, he's a bit of a better dad than he's often presented as. He really treats Damien. Damien isn't just a soldier, which also might be because Damien is less of a nightmare than he usually is. But all the other characters get along better. This was released early, not early on, but in the heart of the New Fifty Two. So Jason Todd wasn't a big part of the Bat family at this point, but he is here. This is also during a period where this was the only place you could see Oracle. Barbara was Batgirl again at this point. And Katana has a fairly large role as a member of the Bat family, which I always read as they started creating this before the New 52 sort of made Cassandra Kane disappear. Mm. And so they had to sub someone in for Cassandra Kane. and they used Katana. She has a bat tie. She's one of the outsiders. And during this period, there was a short-lived and eh, animated series called Beware the Batman that used Katana as Batman's sidekick. So I guess it kind of made sense they would use her here if that was running contemporaneously. But I've always kind of felt, okay, they just couldn't use Cassandra because DC didn't want that character or Stephanie Brown showing up. Stephanie shows up for one panel in the final story. It's like,
1: aw, They would have been great
0: characters to use in this. But there's just a lot of fun in these stories. We're bundling these Because doing any one individual chapter wouldn't have been enough. And even then, breaking it up would have been a sort of arbitrary decision. This has also been collected in numerous formats. Digitally, it was 24 chapters. Floppies, it was 12. It was two trades. There's been a big, complete series collection. It was recently re-released. I assume it was the first six issues in one of those digest size trades that DC puts its younger readers stuff in. So you can find this in all manner of formats.
1: Hey man, get this at the book fair and get them kiddos reading this stuff. One other thing that I really liked in terms of Damien is this book probably did as good a job as you'll ever do of making the Damien for lack of a better word, custody situation, relatable. And like his mom and his grandfather being real and relatable parts of his family. Like it wasn't dumbed down. It wasn't, I didn't feel like this book insulted my intelligence, which is kind of a little bit of, of a failing of you know what we'll see in the, the, the last book we'll talk about. But they made Damien and his family situation as real as possible. And I thought that was pretty commendable. Yeah. I like
0: the way Talia and Raish are in this book when it comes to Damien. I mean, the regular comics, yeah, they're, they're monster. Damien is a child soldier to them. Here there is more affection. I like when Bruce has to bring Damien to see them. Talia is very excited to have him. She, you know, made his favorite foods, and she's very excited. And Raish and Bruce are cordial towards each other. In another absolutely hilarious, one of my favorite bits, the Father's Day story. Raish and Talia wind up out at a restaurant and have to sit with Barbara and Jim Gordon, and it's this just wonderfully awkward bit with these two, and the, the waitress be like, "So you two know each other?" And
1: Tyler, like, yeah,
0: yeah. Ray and Gordon is kind of, like, and Tyler, we uh come to this city to bring down its degraded social structure, and and like, we do anything to stop them. And we're just like, okay.
1: Specials for tonight
0: are. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, the Batmen and Robins are trying to cook dinner for Alfred and it is going about as well as you'd expect. Regardless of the universe, regardless of the continuity, do not let Batman into a kitchen. It never ends well. This is absolutely littered with Easter eggs. If you are in the art, in little nods, It's especially full of Batman the Animated Series and Paul Dini's Batman comics Easter eggs. One of the shorts is for Labor Day is the Carpenter, who is a character that Paul Dini introduced as in the Walrus and the Carpenter of the Wonderland gang. It's this where she's trying to take the day off and just build a doghouse for a dog. And all day long, all it is, is villain after villain calling. And each call is Batman fighting them. And there's just all these wonderful little sight gags.
1: My favorite gags were the references and it's amazing that you, that you could pull this off in a kid's book uh, references to Gotham by Gaslight, which admittedly I flippin hated, but it was fun to see here and red rain. like Oh, the red the, rain, the, the genius. And like, they're just showing off at that point, right? We're writing this, you know, this all ages book, this kid friendly book. Eh, let's make some Red Rain references for fun. Because it's, it's going to just amuse us. Let's throw it in there. Sure, sure.
0: And the, the one where they go to Gotham Comic-Con is littered with
1: Ugh.
0: all these little inside baseball comic book and Comic-Con references. There's one in, again, the All Saints Day, the one where Bruce has to bring Damien to Talia and Raish they have to wander through the desert for a while. And Bruce takes off his shirt and Damien takes a pot. Well, you're just, you got a lot of hair there, which that's as Grant Morrison called him, the hairy chested love God, Batman of Neil Adams, where shirtless Batman has a duel with Rachel Ghoul. That is an, a big classic Rachel Ghoul reference. There's a line in that one about somebody calling about a 900 number about letting him live or die. And Jay's not being like, hang up, hang up now.
1: And there was, a, there was a visual reference to Dark Knight Returns. I mean, again, the, the Easter eggs and just the fun. The fun you could tell that these guys had in putting this book together.
0: The short where Bruce and Selina go on vacation. I would read a Batcat book that was Nguyen and Friedolfs just having a fun little Batman and Catwoman adventure. And Shark Watch! Shark Watch! Because, yes. How many sharks we got in this book? We got at least three sharks as Captain Greenbeard, not Joker, as he also abducts Joker and Harley. A Joker-themed pirate captures Bruce and Selina, and Bruce has to walk the plank where there are yet more sharks. This is kind of a, a... Vager shark watch only because it's clearly tongue in cheek this isn't somebody just wanting batman to fight sharks there's an actual shark repellent line in there too another
1: great reference of course but yeah it's like hey you know what i decided that counts yeah that- well look it counts it, there were there were sharks on the panel it counts
0: oh. and the, another great reference we could We could spend the next hour going through this and hitting all the references. But another one I loved, in the Independence Day short, when the various villains have to team up, Penguin is driving the ducky that he drove in Batman Returns. It could be worse. I could have blood gushing out of my nose. I'm a big fan of Friedolfs and Nguyen as artists. It's much more expressionistic than it is Mm. impressionistic. Nguyen's colors are kind of watercolor y, so there aren't a lot always clean lines, but it works. And when he wants to do some stuff, sometimes you get some really gorgeous art. The poison ivy chapter for Ivy in the fall, when the opening is this sort of poem of Ivy looking at the different seasons, is Really, really gorgeous looking.
1: That was a really good chapter. And again, it's, it hits on a real flipping thing. Seasonal effectiveness disorder. That that's, that's real and it felt genuine and absolutely relatable.
0: The Mr. Freeze in this is very much the tragic Batman the Animated Series Mr. Freeze. And the first Freeze story where he, he's considered cured and he leaves... Arkham and everyone is is nice and it's a perfect day and he decides to freeze all of Gotham. Actually, this is the second freeze story. The first one is the Christmas one where he wants to protect the children from being corrupted by the world and, and
1: can't do Night- that, Victor.
0: Yeah, Night- Nightwing's like they, they weren't even locked in. There was a slide out back and freeze. I like slides, but the one where freeze wants to freeze the city to preserve this perfect day. We're not supervillains. We don't go that far and we can't, but I think we've all had that feeling like, I kind of don't want tomorrow to happen and I want it to just stay today forever. And for someone like Freeze, who has been through so much, it was a very genuine character
1: beat. And in that first Freeze story, of course, Batman has the line, every kid deserves parents. Oh. Oh. oh that one
0: that, that one gets you right there, right right there. I mean again I, I have notes and notes on this because there's there's so much. One thing that is a I won't say a weird particular beat, but the use of a pretty obscure character. There's a recurring use of a character named abuse, Colin, who's this I was kid gonna kid.
1: To ask about that. Yeah.
0: He is a character from the main continuity, co-created by Nguyen and Friedolfs. He was created Makes by sense. Dini with Nguyen and Friedolfs, created that character in Streets of Gotham. In his origin, exactly what it says in the one panel. He was this kid that Scarecrow experimented on him with a cocktail of fear toxin and venom. And the combination allowed him to regularly transform from little kid into big buff guy, as opposed to Bane, who needs to constantly use the Venom to buff up. And he became the defender of abused children in Gotham because he's an orphan. He's a fun character, but he never got much play outside of the deaning to win Streets of Gotham. So it's fun to see him here, but he's he's a real deep cut.
1: So it's uh, Shazam, but with Venom. Yeah, pretty much. Interesting.
0: Yeah. They lean pretty heavy into some of those Batman, the animated series characters. It's an animated series version of clock King. They use condiment King, who is a character who was created in the animated series and has shown up in the comics a few times, always as a joke villain. He's, he's just the worst Batman villain, which is, which is fine.
1: Uh, one thing I never want to see again, though. Harls. Oof. Oof.
0: I think Joker and or Ivy might say that once or twice in Batman, the animated series. And you almost get a a bit of a, Mark Hamill can say pretty much anything and I'll let it go. But written it's like, Oh, that one doesn't fly. And, And we haven't talked a ton about the other characters, but this is very much a bat family book. There's a lot of Nightwing. There's a lot of red hood. There's a lot of red Robin. Alfred is just great. I mean, Alfred's the best dad, regardless. You just, you love Alfred. This is a real fun Batman comic that you could absolutely buy for anyone, and anybody would appreciate it on multiple levels.
1: Yep, I will concur in that assessment. So, with that note, I think it's time. Time to put it on the board. This is tough. This is tough.
0: This is from a continuity standpoint inconsequential yes but we have some inconsequential continuity wise stories pretty high on here i mean 66 the lost episode that brave and the bold both don't matter to continuity but they are 11 and 12 i'm loath to put it see now here's the thing i kind of want to put it right around there (laughs) but i'm a little worried that putting it there our, our 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 kid hole. Yeah, exactly. I'm kind of like, oh. I mean, there's, this is a very fun book. 66 The Lost episode is more streamlined. It's cleaner. As much as I love Nguyen and Friedolfs uh, and Nguyen's art, Friedolfs started out as his inker, which is why I often say them as an art team, but they also write together. I actually have sketches from both of them in my sketchbook separately. Nice. Nguyen did Damien and Friedolfs did Zaz because they had just done a Zaz arc on Streets of Gotham. Okay. It's definitely top half. I think, yep. I mean, I definitely would put it above 15, above Super Heavy. Because oh yeah. Because Super Heavy meanders too much. I would put it above Secret of the Waiting Graves. While that one matters historically it doesn't matter continuity wise and it's just sort of a fun little story does it beat the doomsday book which is the detective comics anniversary issue with batman elongated man and slam bradley meeting sherlock holmes
1: it it's similarly cute I think I'm respectively pretty high on this, just because, again, it gave me a readable version of Damian Wayne, if nothing else.
0: Yeah. Doomsday book, while fun, has become dated with a lot of its references to the IRA. And this book, because of how all ages it is, isn't as dated. It's dated in that it's got, again, that the lack of Stephanie Brown and Cassandra Cain. There is a great pot shot at the new 52 costumes with Damien hallucinating. I saw the justice league, but their costumes had weird collars and lines on them.
1: The hall of failed Robins. I think it beats Doomsday book. You know what?
0: Honestly, I I think it goes right below lost episode. I think it goes in between lost episode and brave and the bold. I think there's more meat as much as fun as brave and the bold is. There's more meat to the bones of this one.
1: Exactly. If, if we could have forced Poor Dan to read, I don't know, 10 issues of Brave and the Bold. I, I think we would have had a better comparison point here, but simply given the breadth of this and how ambitious it was and all of those fun little Easter eggs, I think we gotta we gotta slide it in just just a scooch above there.
0: Yeah, I'm with that. So this is now our new number 12. All right, and now on to the Final story of the night Batman Overdrive, an original graphic novel. Writer is Shea Fontana, artist Marcello Di Chiara, colors by Hilary Sycamore, letters by Corey Breen, editor Diego Lopez, Laurie Bissome, and Jim Chadwick. Cover date on this is May 2020. This is is one of the books from DC's Graphic Novels for Kids line, originally called Zoom, before DC decided to change that to DC Graphic Novels for Kids and the DC Inc. to DC Graphic Novels for younger reader, Young Readers, I believe.
1: Great job this, with the branding there, fellas. Yeah, yeah.
0: And they, they made that change a month or two after they started releasing the books. This is really difficult to describe in a paragraph. I probably should have actually written down the description of the book from the dust jacket versus my own description, which really doesn't work. Here we go. Batman Overdrive tells the story of a young, pre-Batman Bruce Wayne comes to build the Batmobile while still processing the pain and guilt of his parents' death and how he comes to understand that he doesn't have to walk through life on his own. That is a better description
1: than what
0: I came up
1: with. Uh, let me, let me, uh, let me shoot for one. It is uh, young adult Batman plus Fast and the Furious. That works as a description as well. As I was reading this, this
0: made me ask a question. Ooh. A pair of linked questions. Two questions. Is this a good Batman graphic novel? Is this a good graphic novel in general because Hmm. i think mechanically this is a very solid piece of graphic storytelling the script works the art works for this all ages graphic novel how it works as a batman story is where i ran into some problems
1: Hmm, do
0: tell. There are things that Bruce does in this that I don't like seeing my Batman or young Bruce Wayne do. I don't like the relationship with Alfred as it stands through most of this book. I understand why it is the way it is. This is an all-ages graphic novel. This is a young person coming into their own, having to understand things. And it gave Bruce an arc that wouldn't have been there if he and Alfred had the positive relationship we're used to seeing between Bruce and Alfred. But I hate the fact that Bruce is so much of a jerk towards Alfred for so much of this book.
1: Yes. And part of what I didn't like is that we have this, oh, all is lost moment where, you know, Bruce is convinced that Alfred had something to do with the murders And he says, oh, I'm going to I'm going to make sure that Alfred goes to jail. And like, it's just it's just this clunky bit in the book where you know that they're going to get past it. It's it's the young adult reductive storytelling. And that's that's the thing I don't like about all young adult literature is that the story beats are not all that complex. There aren't challenges for your protagonist to overcome. Bruce is already a master detective with his uh, magical gadgets. So the conflict there is just this artificial stuff that we see between Batman and Alfred. And you're absolutely right. I did not care for that. However, the flip side of that was an emotional punch in my butthole because it is Alfred trying to gain acceptance from who he sees as a son and god that hurt yes the alfred as you said the flip side of
0: it is wonderful alfred is great in this book yes which is why i sat back and i was like if i could remove the batman of it and read this as an all ages graphic novel without my preconception. If I could give this to someone who wasn't familiar with Batman, maybe only knew Batman and Alfred as adults and could read this as an origin of that relationship, how would that tick off boxes for them? And that's how I try to read these sort of outside of continuity books. But there are some things that that I view as fundamental to these characters. And the fact that Bruce and Alfred love each other. Is so fundamental to both of their characters. It was a problem I had with Zero Year when there's that bit where they
1: come to blows. It's like, no, no, that's bad touch. Do not want. I think this also fell into another kind of elseworld trap in that we had to work in so many other characters. Why is Harley Quinn in this book? Why? Doesn't need to be. Why is Poison Ivy in this book? Doesn't need to be. You could have invented some other protagonist, or antagonist rather, uh, and it would have made just as much sense. I think there's some some meat to explore with the, the relationship with Selena Kyle, for sure. And whatever reality you're in, they're going to have some kind of relationship. But these other characters just felt very awkward.
0: Yeah, they were Easter eggs. Lady Shiva was another one. It's like, oh.
1: And not fun. They're just there. Yeah, they didn't
0: do anything. It was also strange to use Alberto Falcone as the Falcone son who's involved in this because Falcone in the comics has two sons. Mario is the mobbed up one. Alberto is a Michael Corleone animal. He was the one who his father kept tried to keep out of the business. So there was no real reason to call him Alberto when you could have called him Mario or the fact that Mario is a mobster kind of guy, you know, very slick sort of mobster. Falcone's daughter, Sophia, is a hit woman. She's this big, powerful, physical presence. You could have had her as the bruiser who keeps bullying and beating up Bruce Wayne and in charge of a girl gang. It actually would have worked a bit better with Sophia Falcone
1: as the the heavy. I like those story notes. I like those edits. Let's get on it. I have the note here as well. Bruce again tries to cook
0: in this one and it goes just as well as it did in Little uh, Gotham. <laughs>
1: where, where do the omelets live? <laughs> there was a
0: lot of fun dialogue in this book. There's a, Stylistically, it's really good. I like that the chapter breaks are a speedometer and each mm-hmm. chapter has a different little icon that ties in with that chapter. There's a lot of style to this book. The ink or the Zoom, Inc. and Zoom, both lines, have, generally speaking, released good books. I have only read a couple that have left me cold. And yes, I am not the one that these are geared for.
1: So I also- You're not comp- the target I, demo. No, I'm not. A- but, admittedly, neither am I. Right. Be but, fair. You know,
0: I love a good all ages comic. I think comics are a medium that works for all, all ages this though is this is a younger reader's book versus an mm. all ages book little gotham is all ages because there's stuff there that is it's pixar versus something else you can Full watch House. It. yes this is very much geared for uh queen audience. This is this is for the 8 to 12s and then the other line is for the 13 to 17s. Some of those have had some te- dealt with some really heavy stuff. We're going to have to get around to reading some of those next level up books because there's a, a tough Catwoman one that deals with domestic violence and homelessness in <sighs> a, a pretty
1: powerful way. This is by no means a bad comic. No, absolutely not. I think in many ways, your taste for the sort of young adult tropes that that I talked about, that we've talked about, the more you are willing to stomach those, the more you will enjoy this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There are a few Easter eggs in here. This yet again adds to the places in Gotham that are named after creator list. A major plot point is based off of an abandoned Gotham subway line that is the Goodwin Metro after Archie Goodwin, who we've discussed before. There are street names after Marie Javins, who was the EIC at DC at the time. There were a couple of others too that are somewhere. Oh, Mike Carlin, who was executive editor or maybe editor and key, he, but they're both were big editors at DC. There in Bruce's little proto batcave room in his house, in his house in Wayne Manor, there is an inflatable dinosaur, which was a nice I
1: saw that. Oh, yeah.
0: Okay, okay. That one's good. That one's good. Yeah, and you're right about the fast and the furious vibe. There is no version of Batman that is this much of a gearhead. I did like that they introduced a new friend for Bruce in Mateo Diaz because it's, it's easy. It would have been easy and lazy. You're like, oh, we'll just use Harvey Dent. Yeah, he yeah. And Bruce knew each other as kids or Tommy Elliot. Yeah. It's like, okay, neither of those, those characters bring baggage. Mm-hmm. You want to give Bruce a new friend who's genuinely a friend? Great. And hey, the fact that it's not yet another white guy, also a plus.
1: Yeah, I was just going to make that point. Like you could put somebody in there who's going to look like maybe some of the kids hopefully reading this book. Good job.
0: Absolutely. Oh, there's also a Zorro poster in Bruce's room. Also a nice, nice touch. I mean, there are some bits that are also a bit on the nose. You know, Bruce, your detective stuff is my hobby. Mm. That, that one's a bit on the nose. I do like, I like the way they built Bruce and Mateo's friendship and had Bruce have to learn how to be friends with people. It's again, it's YA or even a little, very early YA. It is very on the nose, but you get a an arc that would work for a younger reader. And there are some great action beats. Marcelo Di Chiara, the artist, draws a really cool car chase at the climax of this book. You can follow the the chase and the way that the cars move. That's not always easy, especially in a medium like comics that's
1: still panels, but they pull it off. And I'll say generally like the car stuff does not feel all that out of place. It's actually Kind of cute, kind of fun, and doesn't feel like some serious deviation from the sort of the Batman story. He's always had a Batmobile, and maybe this is just a little bit more of he's learning how to drive, he's wanting to get that license, and tinkering with his car. Again, that that did not sort of throw me for a loop. Now, one more question
0: before we move on to the next segment here. This book doesn't quite take what I'm about to ask to the level that some other Batman media have. How do you feel about Alfred, the man of action? That is, well, not a new thing. Alfred was always a combat medic, and he did work at a time when the timeline would have worked with this he was a British spy during World War II, working with the French Resistance. But over the past maybe decade, since you got that more cockney Michael Caine Alfred. Michael Caine. So Michael Caine.
1: Michael uh, Caine.
0: Most to Bruce. You've gotten more of these sort of grizzled, action-y Alfreds. Sean Pertwee in Gotham. The version on that Beware the Batman cartoon that I mentioned before, the Jeff Johns version from Earth One, are all bodyguards who happen to wear butler's clothes versus a gentleman's gentleman. This Alfred is still a chauffeur and gentleman's gentleman, but he was this race car driver back in the day.
1: The best driver there ever was.
0: There is a line early. Or in Little Gotham as well, which is completely unrelated. So that came out so many years before about, you know, the different Robins sitting around hypothesizing about things Alfred does. Well, you know, Tim Drake's like, well, you know, somebody told me that he, you know, does death races. But <laughs> I was like, huh, that's a funny little connection that is clearly not a real connection, but I like that. How do you feel about a more action-y Alfred?
1: I think Alfred in his current role, one, when he's alive... Yeah, we we, will continue to grumble about that until the writer who becomes automatically my favorite writer brings him back. I think you can push it up to a certain point and then the character breaks. If Alfred is in the cave with Bruce and Bruce is like, well, I'm going out and Alfred's like, all right, well, I'm going to grab my submachine gun and I'll follow you out there. It should be a last resort for Alfred to be out in the field. I really liked... The moments here where it is a last resort for Alfred to go out there and to have stakes to throw out the guard dogs because Bruce does not know what he's doing and somebody out there has to keep him safe. And so I I, I think it is a fine line. Alfred should be retired. I don't mind him having a certain set of skills and to the extent that he can employ those skills i think is fine but it should be a last resort alfred should not be somebody who is pressed into field duty he shouldn't be plan a he should be plan c or d or f or break in uh, in case of emergency i think you hit hit the nail right on the head there because that's yeah i think you summed up how i feel because that's
0: what bothers me about the where the batman and the earth one Alfreds. These are soldiers who go out there with Batman, armed, And even regular continuity Batman lets Alfred keep a shotgun in Wayne Manor because he might need to defend himself if the rogues break in. But he doesn't want Alfred out there shooting up.
1: <laughs> no, he's too old for that duty. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: Caught myself.
0: I think unless there's anything else... It's time to put it on board. This one is the least of the stories this week. Yes. I don't think this one cracks the top half.
1: No. I think this one. I got a proposition for you. Okay. How about we split them Snyder stories at 16 and 17, but that would put it above your, Your softy Blades. I don't know how you feel about that. See,
0: I was looking right below Blades because I think I might be willing to even put it above Blades. Clown at Midnight, while not necessarily a successful experiment, is a big wild swing that does some really cool stuff.
1: Very true.
0: And I think Clown at Midnight is a better book than this. I personally would put it below Blades and above Last Chance from Gotham Adventures number six. But I would be willing to put it above Blades if you feel strongly about it.
1: No, no, no. Gotham Adventures number six was the Dead Man book, right? Yes. I am willing to say that Overdrive is better than that. And yeah, let's let's leave blades where it is and i think i'm perfectly happy with overdrive coming in at 20 then
0: it is our new number 20 and hey that now makes our list 30 stories My and goodness. hey we just officially hit double digits on this podcast despite you know us having done 730 episodes that you all haven't heard yeah the, that we, we've released 10 so good Good for us.
1: Yeah, I, I can't believe on 720 of those episodes you didn't hit record, Matt. Uh, we've, <sighs> that's, I'm still mad about that. I know.
0: I'm sorry, man. Uh, yeah. I, I'm still learning, but I haven't made a mistake since. <laughs> so
1: Since that 730th episode you didn't record. You know what? We really should have done widening gyre here uh, as we're hitting double digits. Yeah. Do you, do you remember that reference? <laughs> Yeah, it's real bad. Real bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But but now,
0: to to, to make me not think about that, let's talk about next week. Because next week, as the current Bat Books are wrapping up Fear State, we go back and look at three stories featuring the architect of that event, the master of fear, the Scarecrow. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Bat Chat Comics. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and my cats, you can follow me on,
1: on Twitter at MattLaz1013. And I'm at Will Nevin. And before Matt hits his sign off, let me say, happy Thanksgiving, you mother fathers.
0: Also, be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat roundup of new Bat Books. For my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend Dan Grote and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.